glad that uh, see Tristan and Jimmy here tonight. Jimmy's been having to work. I know he's going to have to start working on uh, second shields once he gets done with this orientation training, all that. But I'm glad he's here tonight. Glad Tristan's here. I'm glad you're here. Kennedy, I'm glad you're here. It's always good to have Kennedy here. But um, I am thankful that you're in the house, Lord. I will want to jump into the Word tonight, Bible study. I've been trying to do a little bit of uh, running this little series I've been doing. Jacob's going to put Second Peter 3 and 9 through 18. I've been reading these scriptures over and over to us. Uh, this is a passage of scripture that I really like. I've always liked these. Reading here a while back, I just felt, really felt strongly to kind of break this down and, and talk to our lives about these. So let me, there's a few verses, let me read them. Hopefully by the time we get done with this, I'll, we'll know these scriptures very well. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, Second Peter 3 and 9. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward. I'm really glad he's long-suffering with me. Amen. Sometimes I need him to be long-suffering, and I probably made him suffer more than he should, but I'm glad he is long-suffering. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he did put a but in there. He wants everybody to be saved, but he did put a but in there. But he said the day the Lord's going to come, the thief of the night, Heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also. The works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that we that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? And then he goes on to tell us of, it's, look, he's coming back soon, so we ought to be a certain kind of person. Then he goes on to tell us what kind of person we ought to be. And how should you be in holy conversation and godliness and looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heavens, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless account that the long suffering of the Lord of our Lord of salvation even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given to him hath written unto you as also in all the epistles speaking in them thing, of them things in which are some things hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destructions. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Lord, open the scriptures to our hearts, our spirits, our minds. Let us receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name. Church, say amen. amen. Let's say the day of the Lord. It's at hand. 
He's coming. We see it more and more every day. Surely he's going to be coming very soon. We can look. Used to, we'd have to read the book of Revelations. Nowadays, you can just see it unfold in front of us. It's happening. And I believe they're closer than we've ever been to the coming of Jesus. And just as Paul told his son in the gospel, Timothy, what the last days would look like, he said in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he said, knowing also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. We see that now, don't we? People think a lot of themselves. Covetousness, always wanting something else. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. We are in a very blasphemous generation, I'm telling you what. Disobedient to parents, some of the most unruly kids in this world. Unthankful. People are so unthankful. Can't wait to get their next blessing. Can't wait to get their next thing. They don't appreciate what we got. Unholy. Without natural affections. Let me tell you what. That is running rampant in our generation right now. Truce breakers. False accusers. Incontent. Fierce. Despisers of those that's good. Traitors. Heady. High-minded. Lover of pleasures more than lovers of God. Verse 5 is having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. That's our generation we're living in right now. We can read through all that, and the scary thing is, a lot of this stuff that I've read is, is not those out in the world. It's in the church. It's a scary thing. And we, we have the privilege and the responsibility in the fact that we are living in the end time. It's scary. But it's also, we, God thought enough of us to let us be born during this great time that we live in, Brother Hussey. I believe that. But there's also a responsibility. It is up to us to see what we can do to see this lost generation be saved. To see us be saved. See them be saved. To see our children be saved. Everybody that we can. It is our responsibility. I'm going to continue the series tonight about the end time saint. What that end time saint should look like. What kind of person should, as, as Peter said, what manner of person or what prototype, what, what type of person? Because honestly, we do not have time for casual Christianity anymore. Them days are gone. We don't have the luxury of uh, somebody coming in and, and honestly having... 20 and 30 years to get themselves molded into the place that they need to be. We, we got to get busy. And we're going to have new people come in. All right, I'm just going to say that right now. You Take it however you want, prophecy, whatever. We're going to have new people come in. And we're going to, we need this core group to be willing to jump in and help 
teach Bible studies and go beyond teaching Bible studies and live as an example to them. And I believe that the greatest revival that has ever been is on us. And we have to be about the business of the kingdom of God. We have to. Every day our mind needs to be consumed with the fact that Jesus could come back anytime. And my coworker or my neighbor or my best friend or my children or my spouse or brother or sister, whoever it may be, if he comes back and they're not been born again, they're going to be lost. That's our responsibility. And Peter says that we can't take that lightly. And we, as an end time saint, because we're there, he said, what kind of person we need to be? Last Two weeks ago, we weren't here last Thursday, but two weeks ago, I talked about our holy conversation. We talked about how that, that more precise meaning of conversation is not just what we're saying, but it's our behavior. And especially behavior that involves other people. So he, he said, so how do you need to act with other people? The holy conversation it just simply means living in such a way that our entire manner of life is focused on honoring God and influencing other people to honor God. That's what this holy conversation is. So when you're around other people that you work with or you live beside or in the supermarket, wherever you be, may be, that, that, holy, that holy conversation is, is, is our lifestyle living in such a way that it will cause them to ask questions about, I notice your life is different than anybody else's around here. And, and, I, and I ask us that question, what is our conversation saying about us? What does our lifestyle say about us? Does those that are around us hear us talk about Jesus? Do they, do, do they see us as an example of life that has been changed by being born again? Do they look at us and does it make them uh, see a, a light about us that has, hey, you're not like the rest of the darkness of this world. You're, you're, you're something different about you makes your salt. You make me thirsty. And I heard a statement today that just kind of rattled my head. I, that talking about in the old times, if something was wrong with the meat that they tried to preserve, uh, if it ended up being spoiled, it had nothing to do with the meat but the preserving. There was a problem with the salt, not the meat. There's nothing wrong with the meat that we got today. The Word of God is true, all right? But we're that salt that should make people thirsty for it. And does the world see that life example of us being born again? And, and tonight, I, I want to continue that link of our conversation, which is our, you know, how people see us, how we're talking. And I want to link that to the next thing, which is godliness. Everybody say godliness. There's a lot of words in the Word of God that we just, we don't know what they mean, all right? It's my responsibility as shepherd to make sure that the sheep get fed. And you know what? You're eating. So I'm going to try to feed us tonight. Godliness. Godliness. It is, it is the reverent awareness of God's sovereignty or God's control over every aspect of our life. It is the attendant determination to honor Him in our conduct. Godliness depends on knowing God's revealed truth. 
We cannot be godly if we don't understand God's revealed truth to our life. Paul spoke of the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in Titus. He spoke of, uh, that's Titus 1.1. He spoke in 2 Corinthians 7.10 about godly sorrow that leads us to salvation. We've got to understand if we're going to be godly, it's going to come from a knowledge of the truth about who God is and what God is. 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3 said, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, Christ, of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Peter is saying that God's divine power, that He has given us everything we need in life and godliness, comes through the knowledge of who He is. That's where godliness comes from. If we don't know who He is, we really can't be godly. If we don't know who God is, we really can't live a life of godliness because after all you just put it together we're godliness so we're kind of like god right and if we got to have that knowledge of him and when we have that knowledge of him we know that he is a holy god right he's a holy god that's why when adam and eve sinned and they stood before uh, in the Garden of Eden, and they found themselves in the Holy God's presence, walked into, in, into where they were at, they covered themselves up because they was like, whew, the Holy God's presence is here, and I realized I'm naked. And, and this Holy God is supposed to live in us, right? When we've been born again of the water and the Spirit, that holy God takes residence inside of our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And if he lives in us, it should affect the way we live. If God lives in us, Jimmy, it should affect the way I live. It should affect the way I speak. It should affect the way I act. That is our holy conversation. But godliness takes it to another level. Godliness goes on to our thinking, which is shaped by our knowledge of who God is. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says, but, he, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in what? All manner of conversation. Because it is written, what, anybody know the rest of this? Be ye holy, for I am holy. <laughs> See, God, we know God's holy. Right? If we don't, we should. God's holy. But Peter does something in this verse. He's saying, look, we, that God that's called us is holy. He said, so 
be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it's written, be ye holy for I am holy. What Peter is doing here, he puts the responsibility on us to be holy. When he said, be ye holy. He's not saying you're automatically holy because God's holy. He's saying, you be holy. You be holy. He put that responsibility on us. And the way we know to be holy is by letting the Spirit of the Holy God, the Holy Ghost, which is supposed to be living inside of us, guide us into all truth according to John 14 and 28. It said that the Holy Ghost would lead us into all truth. And the Spirit that lives in us will check our attitudes, it will check our thinking, it will check all that stuff, and it will take us back to the Word of God. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave instructions to Israel for practically every part of their daily existence. All right? In the Old Testament, God gave them directions of what garments you're supposed to wear together and not together. Certain garments you weren't supposed to, to wear because uh, was other things because they would make you sweat and then therefore defile you where you couldn't go in the temple. Certain foods you weren't supposed to eat. Now, I'm thankful that a lot of the dietary laws, a lot of that stuff was done away with because I really like shrimp. Pork's good. But it's also a good habit. If you live by that stuff, you'll be a healthy person, all right? I understand that. But, it went on from that. I mean, for every, the Old Testament gave practical uh, things for you to do every day in your daily existence, all right? From, from marriage to your clothes. He told them how to live. Then in the New Testament, he took that a little bit farther, and he began to deal more with the attitudes of how to live like in the old testament it's like okay you know you're not supposed to commit adultery all right but in the new testament people said well the new testament's a lot easier well in some ways it's a little harder because it goes from the external to dealing with an internal part of our life which turns is has a lot to do with the godliness he said okay you're not supposed to commit adultery but let me tell you what let me let me explain to you exactly what adultery is because if you're looking on that person and you're undressing them and you're already sleeping with them, you've committed adultery. So he goes a little farther because here's the thing. You can dress holy and not live godliness. You can dress holy but not live godliness. Because you can have it all dressed up on the outside, and I believe that, but yet treat somebody like a piece of trash. Or we can take it the other way. You can have the kindest, sweetest, beautiful spirit, but yet the outside look ungodly. All right? See, here's the thing. You can give tithes and offerings and not live godliness. Both aspects are so bodily important, but true godliness is finding that mixture of all these aspects of life and living that balanced life. It's something that's hard to find nowadays, but needs to be found in these last days. It's called balance. We need some balance 
in our world. So the end time saint needs to understand how they need to live in godliness. It does matter how you dress. You cannot go naked. Now, I guess you can, but you can't do it and be godly. Because according to the word, we can't, all right? And, and you must also dress according to your gender. And I know we got this issue going on in our world right now. You can choose to be whatever you want. But listen, honey, when you go to the bathroom, you get ready to take a shower, you can figure out what you are. It's not real complicated. And I'm not trying to be ugly or mean, but somebody needs to tell it nowadays. God created you a certain way. Men should look like men and women should look like women. That's a part of godliness, all right? But then godliness also deals with how you treat people, how you love people, how you forgive or don't forgive people. Amen. See, godliness, it is who God is. It is, it is how God acts. And, it, and let me tell you what. We have people, and I, again, I believe we need to look godly, but we got to act godly too. And more so in this generation, Sister Janet, we're living in right now because they need to know that there's some things that I'm not going to do because it doesn't please him. And there's some ways I'm not going to act because he doesn't act that way. Godliness, it deals with all that stuff about loving, dressing, everything. It's, it's who he is. And, and if this end time right now, this world needs people that knows how to live in godliness. They need us to be God. We need to be living in godliness because godliness it deals with how you treat your wife. It deals with how you treat your husband. Kids, it deals with how you treat your parents. And parents, how you treat your kids. Because godliness is just, it is who God is. And the way that we know how to live godliness is that mixture between the Spirit of God and the Word of God living on the inside of our lives. The word by itself can kill. Right? But then, the spirit without the word sometimes can take you down some roads that cause you to get lost. So we can learn how to balance both those together with that holy God living on the inside of us, taking the letters that was written to us that tells us how. Hey, what did it say about, I was reading earlier about the knowledge of God brings the godliness to our lives. We, have, we need to read this word every day in our life. Amen. Read it, study it, and plant it in our hearts. Do not let it go because what's on the inside of that, praise God, tells us who God is. And all of a sudden, we'll start feeling something from the Spirit. We can go to the Word, and it checks it, praise God. It just, and let me tell you what, godliness deals, all right, God's love, all right? And, and we got to make sure we love like God loves, because what does the Word of God say? God is what? He is love. And so, if I'm not loving somebody in my world, 
and I've got some hatred or I've got some unforgiveness in my life, that's not godliness. We've got to be willing to forgive. We've got to be willing to put some blinders in our life because after all, that's what God done hanging on the cross, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He loves and we've got to love. We've got to be willing to let that godliness invade our life. And this is what Peter said. Look, we're in the last days, so how do you need to act in your holy conversation and your godliness? And I realize it's a subject I could get way deep into, and I'm just kind of scratching the surface of some, some of this stuff. But godliness, it deals, how, it deals with how we give, not just of our money. Now that, that's a part of it. Because nobody gave any more than he did. He gave his all. But it deals with how you, whether we're selfish or not, of our time, our self, and our money. You see, godliness is affected by doctrine. Everybody say doctrine. That's a word people don't like. <laughs> I got person that I know and I'll, I'll be limited this is being recorded I don't know that they would ever listen to it so but I'll be careful what I say with it this particular individual told me one he said I don't believe in doctrine I'm like what how do you not believe in doctrine doctrine's important it's what we it's what we believe it's it, it matters how, how how important see because doctrine Godliness is affected by doctrine because doctrine matters. Because do doctrine is what we believe, all right? It, and I guess somebody who don't believe in doctrine don't believe in anything, right? Same individual told me here a while back, they was talking, they said, look, I know I'm not living right, but yet they tell me they're saved. That doesn't work. So listen what what Timothy said, 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 7. Let as many servants are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of, uh, of all honor, that the name of God in his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, not, but rather do them service because they are faithful, beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Listen to what it says. If any man teach otherwise... And consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud. What are you saying here? He said, this person's proud. They don't know anything. Doting about with questions and strife's words. <laughs> Wherefore cometh envy and strife, railing. He's saying, look, this person who's not worried about doctrine, all they're going to be doing, they're proud. They don't know anything. They're full of questions and causing strifes and this is what he's saying right here. Railings and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Saying, look, they're just being proud and all, all they're, they're just, I, I just gain, that's going to give me godliness. He said, from such withdraw thyself. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. A lot of people, all they're worried about is what they can get in life. But true godliness is when we're not worried about what's in this world. 
but we're only worried about what's going to affect the eternal part of my life and get me to heaven. And the only part of the only part of my life that I build up that's going to get me to heaven is that spiritual part of my life. And that spiritual part of my life is only fed by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. Now, I'm not telling us not to have stuff and enjoy things. I like stuff. If you want to buy me something, that's fine. Go ahead and buy it. No, I'm just kidding with you here. But, but seriously, we all like to get stuff. We like that part of life. But the real gain in life is when we become more like God. And the only way we can become more like God, this is real godliness, is when we let the Spirit and the Word bring the right mixture to our life and we become more like Him. And that's the only way that we can. And Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. He said, look, there is a wrath of God that comes from heaven against people who are living ungodly lifestyles. How important is the godliness? Look, there's a wrath that's coming from heaven on those who are ungodly. If it's that serious and that important, I want to know what it means to be godly. And godly, godliness, I just said, is rooted in the doctrine of the Word of God. What does it say? What is the doctrine of the Word of God? And I want to tell you what some of the, you know, just some base, base simple things of the doctrine. There is only one God, and His name is Jesus. There's only one way to be baptized, and that's in the name of Jesus. There, there is a way which seemeth right to man, but the end thereof, is, or it's a way of death, right? But he is a holy God, so we've got to live holy, right? What is holy? Look, don't you take my word just for it. You need to get in the word, and you need to dig it out. Because I, see, because godliness is very, very essential. Everybody say godliness is essential. It's important. As I said, Peter said, godliness is essential for the end-time saint. It's one of the first two things that he said here when he, when he went through these things. He said, look, and how do you, what kind of person you need to be in all your manner of conversation? In other words, how you conduct yourself with everybody and godliness. These two are kind of tied together because if you're living that godly lifestyle, you'll probably have the right manner of conversation in your life. Your conversation tells on your godliness or lack thereof. And it's so important that we have that. It's the first things that he put in here. Because if we are not living that lifestyle of godliness, it will catch up to us. Because godliness is so essential, especially in this end time we're living in. But not everybody wants to live it. I understand that. And it seems like the farther we go, the worse it gets. Why? Do people not want to live godliness? Because godliness is costly. Right? Listen to uh, Paul as he talked to his son in the gospel, 2 Timothy 3 and 12. Yea, and all that will God and all that will live godly in G Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's why we don't like to live godly. That's why, you know. I mean, this girl just got back from South Carolina, Myrtle Beach. We got in the ocean. We didn't go naked. All right, we didn't go naked. I wore my clothes. That's called godliness. 
the beach was not that bad. Now let me take it farther now, okay? The beach, as far as the crowd, it was not that bad. But if there had been a line of people, I didn't care if, my, if I had my clothes on, but there had been a line of people from one end to the other that had their clothes off, then that would have been ungodly to me. Their ungodly lifestyle would have made my lifestyle tainted, and then I would have been like, oh, let's go find another spot, sweetheart. Because this is not a godly place for me to be. And this is what godliness is. It's, it's you suffer persecuted. Well, I won't go out there swimming like that. I got sunburn, okay? You know where I got sunburn? From here down. <laughs> I'm just being real here. And here's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to do this and say this in the right spirit. And if I'm wrong, I want you to pray I'm, that God shows me. Because I'm going to pray for you that God will show our congregation too. Because godliness is important. And, and here's the thing. I'm more, I want to be your friend, but I have to be your pastor. I have to be your shepherd. And I've been reading a book about, about a shepherd that's been eating my lunch. And I want to make sure that I am teaching us the right thing. Because Godliness comes at suffer of persecution. You're going to be persecuted. Why do we think we're any better than the old time saints? They were persecuted. We, we don't know what persecution is right now. A hundred years ago, they had tomatoes thrown at them preaching. They had death threats, all kinds of things. And through adversity, they went right through it and they tried their best to live a godly Godly lifestyle. Now, I know it could get so deep in so many things. I'm not going to do that tonight. I challenge you to dig into the Word of God because between the Word, because godliness and holiness, these things, it has to come from revelation. Because I can tell you how to act, tell you how to dress, and I'll do my best to tell you what the Word of God says, but it has to come by revelation to your life. Because if I tell you just to go forgive that person, you can go do it and not forgive them. You can go say, I forgive you. But sometimes we got to pray. Say, God, help me to have your spirit of forgiveness so that I can really forgive them. We've got to be willing to go beyond that spot. We, we, can, we can say, okay, God, I don't quite understand why I need to be like this or look like this. Show me. And God will show you. He'll give you a revelation. And it is this important in this time that we're living in. This is what Peter said. Look, we know he's coming soon. So what manner of person should we be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, do a word search. Search it. Find it. Look, at the, Go through the word of God and find everywhere it talks about godliness. And it's going to tell you what godliness is. And here's the thing. We may suffer persecution through living godliness, but Peter said it in 2 Peter 2 and 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God will lead us if we're going to live that godly lifestyle. There's going to be temptations and all this stuff, but He knows how to deliver us out of them temptations to continue living this godly lifestyle. Because I promise you, it is a battle to live godly, whether it's how you look or how you act. Both is a challenge. 
both is a challenge in this life. But this is, this is all what it's all. It's a challenge when your boss is up in your face and, and you know it's not your fault and he's cussing you or giving you a hard time, whatever. It's hard to maintain godliness in that state. But the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. You know, you, you're, you're married or you're a young person. Let's just do that. You're a young person and you know you're trying to stay pure and right. But, but that's a good-looking girl. She's hidden on you, right? Or that website is just so easy to click on. Nobody else will know it. I can delete my history and nobody knows. But God knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Because even though you might be clicking on things at nighttime when nobody else is around, that's not godly, all right? Porn, pornography, all these, there's a lot of things. We could, you know, what is it? Just let me tell you, anything that keeps you from being like God is not, is, it's ungodly, all right? We hear people say, oh, that's ungodly. Well, if, if the Bible says it's ungodly, it's ungodly. If the Bible says it's godly, it's godly. That's just, that's just pretty much how it is. But what I do know, and this is my stressing point of this tonight, is Peter said that, uh, let, let me read the, the first part of that once again. Let me run back up here to the top of it. The Lord, he, he said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He's going to come as a thief in the night, all right? If he's going to come when we least expect it. And he said, knowing this, that he could come at any moment. What kind of person do you need to be in holy conversation and godliness? It is important. It is doctrine. Godliness is rooted in doctrine. Godliness is rooted in the spirit. Them two mixed together brings godliness to our life. Because, we, you know what, I've read scriptures... You guys know I push the Word of God, push reading it consistently. Uh, I've read it many, many times. I don't know the last time I've not read the Bible, but you listen. You know as well as I do, some days you're just sitting reading just to check off my bread chart, right? I've done my reading today. But when you spend some time praying and then you pick up the Word of God and you begin to read it, the Spirit and the Word mixed together brings a lot. And this is how we need to do this to figure out what exactly godliness is. I'm, I'm fixing to close with these scriptures. Um, Titus 2, 11 through 3. I made mention of these a second ago, but earlier. But I'm trying to not be as long on these Thursday nights and be mindful of everybody's time. And, um, but for the grace of God... That bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. It's coming to everybody. What does... Now we talk about the grace of God, alright? We're saved by what? Grace. Grace what? It brings us to salvation. But what does grace do? This is what the word of God said that grace does. For the grace of God that, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, comma teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts he's telling us we've got to deny the ungodliness and the worldly lust that takes us away from ungodliness he said that we should live soberly you know what that means don't be drunk on this world 
live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. He is telling us that grace that we talk about, that we're saved by grace, is going to teach us to deny ungodliness and the worldly lust. It's going to teach us to live a sober life. We're not drunk on this world. We're not drunk on Hollywood. We're not drunk on the gaming system. We're not drunk on this world system. That's what the world is. And when we talk about the world, I don't I want people to understand what the world is. The world is this world system that right now is more prevalent than we've ever seen. This world system is trying to set up this one world government. Let's don't get drunk on that. But live righteous and godly in this present world. And here's the key. It ties it together. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, this is what the grace of God does. We, we sing Amazing Grace. A song we used to sing all the time. Saved by... I can't remember exactly how to say by grace. We talk about it. we're saved by grace. Yes, I know we're saved by grace. It's the grace of God. It's unmerited favor that He gave me. I didn't deserve it. But He died for my sins. He gave His blood for my sins. He rose from the grave to give me hope of eternal life. That's the grace. I didn't deserve it. But that grace brought salvation to me. It appeared to me. Grace didn't stop there. The Word of God talks about manifold grace. Great. Do you know what a manifold is? A manifold is something where it has a, it is able to connect a lot of different things to it, alright? It's a manifold. And it, it's the manifold grace of God. It's a lot of facets to it. And one of it, it brought me salvation. But another part of it, it teaches me, since He saved me, it teaches me, okay. I saved you from sin. Now I'm going to teach you how to stay away from sin. To teach you how not to have worldly lust. How not to be drunk on this world. But how to live righteous and godly. In this present world that you're living in. And he ties that in with what he says in the next chapter. It's our text that we've been running through. He said, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace teaches us to say no to the godliness, worldly passions. And it teaches us to live a self-controlled, godly life in this world. While we're waiting for the next one. Listen, this all this world right here is about is eternity. I've been on this kick lately about it talking about eternity but this is it all this world Tristan all this world's about son is eternity what you do in this life determines what happens in eternity a lot of times we say well that's what happened in, in, in the next life no it's not just your next life because we say life it can expire in eternity no it's not going to Whatever we do in this life determines what forever will be for us. And that's why the grace that saves us, it don't just save us, but it teaches us. It 
doesn't just save us, but it teaches us how to deny godliness. Or you flip that, we can say it like this. It teaches us how to live godly. That's the purpose of grace. And Peter said, you need godliness in the end time. And we need it. Amen. I'm done. I wonder if we can find a place and talk to the Lord for a few moments. We all struggle with godliness. Let me say this right now. Every one of us struggle with godliness. Because godliness has so many facets. Because it deals with everything about our life. It is the Old Testament and the New Testament all mixed together. It says, okay, this is who I am. I am God. And I want you to try your best to live as close as you can. Make me a high